Positioning is one aspect of marketing strategy that often gets ignored in startups and small businesses. A founder will just know what their product does and who's buying it, and that's good enough, at least for a while. But as you aim to scale the business and cross over the chasm to a larger audience, understanding the true positioning of the brand or the product becomes more important and is worth a fresh look. On this episode of The Marketing Mix, Sharon Scott shares her experience in helping companies understand their why. And we dig into the key aspects of positioning and talk about how emotion should be part of the positioning framework. And we also look at the potential to use AI to help with customer research. Welcome to The Marketing Mix, where I talk to the smartest people I know in the world of business-to-business marketing and sales. We find out what makes these folks tick, how they stay ahead of the curve, and what trends they're keeping an eye on right now. I'm your host, Steve Cummins. I've built and run marketing teams at a number of tech companies, from Fortune 500 to fast-growth startups. And I found one of the best places to learn is from talking to people who are out there getting stuff done, people who are in the mix. Today, I'm talking with Sharon Scott, who is a marketing strategy consultant and founder of OtterScope. And Sharon has a particular focus on companies involved in outdoor pursuits, or as she puts it, for people who love to get outside or get outside their comfort zone, which I think is a a great line. Sharon, welcome to The Marketing Mix. Thanks, Steve. So happy to be here today. So we are going to be talking primarily about marketing strategy and positioning. now, there are a lot of pieces to marketing strategy is, is just one of those pieces. Uh, and actually, I think it's one that is often overlooked amongst all of the enthusiasm about tactics and, and hacks that, that people want to talk about. So let's just start off. Maybe you can tell me how you define marketing strategy and, and why that is something you particularly choose to focus on. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, there's if you get three people in a room, you'll get four different definitions of strategy. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can go all over the map and you can go from, from Peter Drucker's very, very dry, dry, long involved. It's, you know, the choices you make over different environmental conditions to grow the business. Um, but then later on, he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, <laughs> um, um, some people just say it's the path you're going to take to win. Um, the way I like to position it sort of is as it's it's the why of your product with the who of your audience and then a little bit of the how you're going to provide value, create value through that. And that's where it gets a little bit messy and tricky for some folks because you do have to talk about some tactics Um to, to, to deal with strategy. It's it's a mosaic. It's all these tiny little pieces that sometimes make sense in and of themselves, but they make a ton of sense when you bring it all together. So that's what I like to say. Another metaphor that I like to use for it is strategy is the map. And a map, um, for those of us who still know how to read maps, um, <laughs> is a really great tool because it, you know, if I got it right, set up right, I can look at it and say, okay, there's a giant cliff over here. I probably don't want to go there unless I'm hang gliding. Um, there's a giant body of water over here. Maybe we should bring a canoe. Or this is a, you know, this is an interstate highway. I'm going to drive a car. And so the, the map gives you the landscape and the lay of the land and, and where you are. 
and then the tactics and the plans and the goals all get into the routing, you know, of the GPS that's taking you there. For sure. And I, I am still one of those people that before I go on a journey, I, I use Google Maps all the time, but I will look at that Google Maps route before I, before I embark on it. So at least I have a rough idea of where I'm going. So, you know, I, I don't have any physical maps anymore, but I, I, I believe I could still read one if somebody put one in front of me. Um, so, uh, all right. So, so we're talking about strategy. Um, so when I work with small businesses, I like to use this, this framework uh, that I call the paid framework, which is positioning, awareness, demand generation, and enablement. And I go on the theory that particularly for small businesses, they don't have a lot of time to go into all the theory of marketing, but these are four areas that can really have, have an impact on, on their business. And in my experience, I find that positioning is the one thing that particularly a lot of founders really don't want to get involved in or want to ignore because they, they don't want to narrow down their focus. They want to be all things to all people. Yeah. As marketers, you and I know that's probably a recipe for disaster. Um, how do you approach that positioning part of the strategy when you work with a client? Yeah, I think positioning is really important. And I think the reason a lot of um, founder-led or startup businesses or businesses under $10 million in revenue don't think about it so much is because they feel like they intuitively or innately know what they're doing and why they're doing. And particularly because founders and startup leaders um, are often enthusiasts and they're trying to solve their problem and then finding a market for it, that can be really tricky to not project their needs onto what is uh, a product market fit measurement of, of is there a market for this or is this a, is this a business or a hobby? And so when I think about positioning, um, I like to think about it in some of the classical ways. And then one of the classical pieces of positioning frameworks that I kind of ditch in favor of a different one. So I, I do like to look at the classical pieces of positioning as your audience, um, your, your vertical or your category. Um, so it's kind of the who and the what, um, kind of going back to those grade school questions. Then the, the why, what's your point of differentiation? I mean, that's a pretty classic setup in there. Um, I think a subset of that is the reason to believe or the social proof, however you want to state on that. And then most frameworks will talk about the last piece of positioning being the brand promise. And I, I actually prefer to, um, to swap that out for how do we want our customers to feel after we've dealt with them? And I think that's important because you know, if the product is the brain and the brand is the heart, you, you have to have both. There's so many great products out there. And to differentiate and stand out among the crowd, you, you, you really have to have both. You have to make people care um, and feel something. And, and I think that's a piece that's missing, missing in the classical frameworks for positioning that, that ends with the brand promise. In other words, it's it's it has to be both about you, the customer, and us, the brand or the business. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, 
so a lot of my background is in the tech world, right? Yeah. So emotions aren't necessarily the first thing that come to mind when you're when you're looking at tech products. But the reality is, you know, whether you are, you know, buying outdoor equipment or you're buying a piece of software that's gonna make your life easier or you are making a business decision that could impact your career, there is emotion involved in those things, right? Maybe the emotions are more fun when it's outdoor equipment versus a, a piece of software, but it's still emotion, right? It could be, in a business sense, it could be fear, right? You do not want to screw up. You don't want to be the person that, you know, invested too much money in the wrong product or, or the wrong service. Um, you know, it could be excitement because you really want to be using the the, the latest latest piece of software. So so I like this idea of saying, well, instead of the brand promise, let's tap into the emotions. Um, what are some some tools or approaches that you use to understand your which emotions you're tapping into and, and how to really get that message across? Yeah, well, it, it starts with the, the internal team and the internal audiences, um, because these are the people or person, if it's, you know, uh, uh, a solopreneur at this point in time that that really is is in it day to day that knows the product or the service or the value proposition like nobody else and i i always like to follow the the rule of 50% you know if you're a thousand percent enthusiastic about something when you share your enthusiasm with someone else, they're only going to be half as excited. So as a founder, I'm a thousand percent excited about this. You right. know, as as a potential client, I t- I'm talking to you, and and you say, yeah, I'm about half as excited about that. And by the time they then present it to somebody else in their org that maybe has to sign up on, off on it, they're again half as much percent about it. So I think you know, keying into that excitement and enthusiasm is is really important so it really starts with with um with just surveying people talking to them having conversations um going through the 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 five whys uh with people why is that why is that why is that and and then particularly if it's in a vertical that i'm not intimately familiar with then i'll say and why do i care so you start with the, the internal um, the internal audiences, and then providing you have budget and time, um, you go on to try to get some customer or client interviews to understand, hey, when when you've chosen these people in the past, why was that versus brand X or brand Y? Um, if you don't have time or budget or if you're pre-revenue at that point, then you have to go through it in different ways. And that's anything from going to different social channels, you Reddit is a gold mine for people who care passionately about super niche things. Um, and then of course, LLMs, you know, chat GPT is, is just remarkable. Um, these days it's not the be all end all of, of consumer insights, but you can get a pretty good bead of what people thought about your brand at the last update, which was, you know, two years ago or something like that. Um, and, and then you go from there. Yeah, so I want to come back and talk about ChatGPT in a minute because I I think basically any conversation you have about marketing these days, we can find a reason to talk about Chat ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, but before that, you you brought up this interesting point about particularly a founder being so passionate about 
their product, right? Um, which is great right up until it's not because yeah. sometimes they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that can be really tough trying to explain to them they're wrong. And when I say wrong, you know, there's this, um, you said you, you like going back to, to classic marketing. So there's, there's something, particularly in the tech world, called Crossing the Chasm, which was a book written probably 30 years ago now by Jeffrey Moore. But it talks about how companies do very do very well early on by selling to these early adopters who yeah. who get get the excitement that the founder inventor whatever gets right they're using it for that purpose and then the problem is you're going to get you're going to be successful and grow the company if you tap into a different set of customers and those customers are using it in a different way and they have a different set of expectations and i think that's where you get that friction between the founder saying, no, 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 I know what people want this for. I know what my positioning statement is. And it's, and it's, well, yeah, that was the positioning statement three years ago, but if you really want to grow, it's time to revisit it, change it, try and tap into that larger, later adopter market. Right. Um, so anyway, so positioning obviously isn't just about the marketing team, right? The, there's a lot of stakeholders and one of the roles of marketing is being that bridge between the sales team, the product team, the customers, customer support, and so on. Um, and a lot of these groups often, unfortunately, work in silos, and, and marketing is the one that moves between them and gets them talking together. Um, you told me in an earlier conversation, so you came up through the product organization, which, yes. which I think is a great path to marketing. I did something similar my, myself. I think it helps to to understand the the product world. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about how you make sure that product and marketing are aligned and, and some of the processes that you use to make sure that you don't have product running off one direction, marketing trying to do something else? Yeah. In, in an ideal world, um, uh, the teams are highly matrixed and, and co-located, honestly. And I know that's a hot button item uh, with remote work and things like that. So I think maybe in modern times, maybe the best way to say is that they're not asynchronous, that that you can talk to each other and that you, you build this trust relationship um, cross functions and to like that crossing the chasm metaphor of, you know, reaching out and saying, you know, hey, product, folks, what, what bugs you the most about marketing? Well, I hate feature creep or scope creep. I'm like, okay, help me understand what does that mean to you? Because that means different things to different people um, and, and vice versa. So I think, you know, having at least annual and ideally um, quarterly conversations and in real time, real life meetings with people um, is really helpful because you get to know each other and understand each other, and and you you know that's when the light bulbs go on. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea testing meant all of this, you know, from a marketer's perspective versus an engineer's perspective. And so, getting people to see each other as people really makes a huge difference in in that. And then. Um, bringing each other on very early in the process, depending on how your organization is structured, you know, where does the 
the idea come from? Where does the project work come from? How how do we go about assigning work in there and and making sure that we're looping each other in on a regular basis? Um, and at the startup level, where you know it might be the founder and six contractors, it's it's really hard. You can't you can't do that, but you have to build a, a culture of conversation and accountability and and in my perspective humanity just like right you're a person first you're not an engineer first you're not a marketer first you're a person first and let's talk like people first and then put the business veneers over it i know that sounds oversimplified um, but it really makes a huge difference yeah it, it's communication Right. I mean, everything you said there really boils down to that. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is I so I take your point about, you know, co-locating people. Um, but I've also worked in organizations where the product group is sitting over in, in one side of the, the building or, you know, one one side of the floor. Marketing's on that and they never talk to each other. Oh, geez. anyway. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't say it was healthy, but, I, but I've seen it happen. Um and yet I've also seen organizations where they're remote, but they use Slack really well to talk to each other, share ideas. Um, and I also think if you're, if you're in the company, I see this with a lot of startups where they are remote, but they make a point every three months or six months to get everybody together in a room. Yeah. The cooperation is actually better there because it's almost as though people feel, well, I've only got a week. I've got to make a point to, you know, get to know the sales team and and the design team and what have you. So I think it's, if you're intentional about it, it, it can work, but, but you're absolutely right. It's got to be that constant communication. Shouldn't be any surprises. Product needs to understand what marketing does. They're not just the people that create the, the flyers and the ads, right? Marketing needs to understand everything that goes into developing a product. And I think if you have that, then, then it starts to, to pull everything together. It does. There's, there, there's one thing I, I want to piggyback on for just a minute there that, that you mentioned is, is when those rare offsites or team lunches or whatever happen, um, I think this is a very interesting point compiled with your your product of mentorship for junior marketers and stuff like that. Just to to remind the team is your job at this event is to sit with people you don't know. Our nature at these things is to sit with our group and the people we know and are comfortable people. And the magic happens is when we talk to somebody who's in a different function that maybe I've never talked to before and I learn about them or in a, uh, a house of brands business with somebody in a different business unit completely. It's like, oh my gosh, that's how you do it. We do it completely differently. Um, that's where the magic happens there is, is when you you break out of, when I break out of my comfort zone and sit next to somebody I don't know, whether they're junior or senior to me, doesn't matter. You're just going as human to human. And and that that's where I find tremendous value in in those sorts of team building events. Yeah, you're, you're so right about that. I, I worked for a Danish company for a while and, and they were very big on what they would call coffee walks, which is exactly what it sounds like. You would leave the office, you would walk five minutes down the street, get a coffee um, and chat, but they, they actually forced it. And that sounds like a bad way, but they, they would do these random pairings. Yeah. 
So every month you would just be paired with somebody from another group who you may or may not have met before. And, and you would set a time to go and do this coffee walk to do exactly what you're saying. And they even tried to do it with remote people. It's, it's a lot tougher to get that rapport through a video screen. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it's an eye opener to everybody when you start seeing what other people are, are dealing with. Um, yeah. you know, even, even something simple like a marketer saying, Oh, I just, I just need an image of this cause we're, we're pushing something out on Twitter. Right. And we think it's just, you know, like going snap a photo and then you realize everything that, that's involved with it so <laughs> yeah I, I i i think i think what you say there is right you gotta go talk to random people uh, yeah. and and work out what their issues are yeah. uh, now you did mention uh large language models and chat gpt yeah uh, a little bit earlier uh, yeah i find one of the challenges with it is there's so many things you can use it for um and and it takes a bit of you know bit of trial and error to to make it work I know you've worked with them a, a little bit. Um, any particular use cases you'd like to share that you think have, have been a really valuable way of, of tapping into generative AI? Yeah. Um, there, there are, like you said, a lot. And the applications just keep growing and growing and growing. You know, the recent announcement of text-to-video, 60-second videos, yeah. it's just, just mind-boggling um, in a lot of ways. Um, and the, the, the leaps that are, are happening between versionings are, are just remarkable. Um, I like, I like to use ChatGPT to, um, try to ferret out the shortcomings or the downsides. You know, if I have a brilliant idea for a campaign and I, do really great work setting setting things up of what's the persona of that I want ChatGPT to take on, and then I say who my audience is, and I say where I want to publish this and what the timing is and all those pieces, and I set it out there and I say now I want to do a campaign that focuses on X Y Z or A B C. Right, and I like that idea of of using it to help you maybe get unstuck on a campaign or do do a sanity check on a campaign. Um, so going back to positioning, I'm, I'm curious if you can see ChatGPT or generative AI being helpful in that customer research phase, which we both know can be time prohibitive, can be a very expensive phase, uh, particularly if you're uh, in an early stage growth mode. Uh, any thoughts on that? I think part of it is is through through prompt practice. Say, you know, please provide me a basis uh, on a basis of um, active users of um, relational databases. What what are the five top pain points? Okay, great, thank you. And then you kind of have to remind it. Now you're still thinking about this uh, amalgamation of these types of users in North America. I just threw in another wrinkle there. I said North America. Um, now how would a solution that does X, Y, Z help with any of that? And then it'll say yes or no, or however the case may be. So I think 
those are the pieces you can ask it to scrape websites, and, which is really helpful. I feel compelled to tell a story. Um, a friend of mine was talking to a thought leader in a very different industry um, who's working on a new book. And she asked this thought leader, you know, how things were going, blah, blah. And the thought leader said, you know, it's amazing because I went and I asked ChatGPT, what would I, the thought leader, say about this sort of thing? And ChatGPT came back and the thought leader said, that's actually pretty good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so, so that's that that level of machine learning of machine to person to person to machine right. and 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 all that stuff in there. So I think I think the, the wonderful thing about it is you can use ChatGPT for free and and experiment, see what works, and know that it's not perfect. Know that it is not a substitute for speaking to 20 actual humans this week. Right. Um, know that that it's a good general piece, but as you're able to scale and invest in this, you're much better off going to panels and, and, and finding um, enthusiastic users or having consumer um, circles and pieces like that. They're, they're, they're much more powerful and much more um, helpful. Um, And if you're pre-revenue or if, if profitability is tight, then this is a wonderful substitute in the interim. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I apologize for putting you on the spot because this is not a podcast about AI. And I and I was I was getting in deep there, but uh, I think you know the path you're leading us down is you're know, in the in those prompts. You've got to come up with a solid persona. You've got to t- sort of give it some ideas on where to get this the data, you know, some, some resource to go look at. And then it's just that constant whittling down and until you, until you get what you want. And, yeah. and I think your last point is, is very valid. It should be a part of the process, right? Yes. This, this is not, Hey, we're going to develop our product entirely <laughs> on what came out of this, but maybe it leads you in a certain direction and, and saves you some time on the more expensive parts of it. Yes. But sure. There's, there's, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a replacement for getting out and, and talking to people and, no. and really asking. So, um, and I, you know, I think it's funny, though it's not, you know, an AI conversation. When I was prepping for our conversation, and I thought about positioning, and like, what should I do an example positioning statement for? I'm like, I'll do it for ChatGPT. There you go. <laughs> so, you want to hear my theoretical yes. positioning statement? I have to I read it because it's, it's, it's long. It's <laughs> go for um, it. So going back to the positioning, for digitally enabled people, that's your who, who mm-hmm. want to who want expert level information on a variety of subjects that helps them generate content, chat GPT and so that's all the the who and the what vertical you're in and um then we're gonna get into the point of differentiation next. So ChatGPT is the only publicly available LLM that seamlessly synthesizes data into human-friendly outputs, okay? So that's that's the segment of the why or the point of differentiation. And then the reasons to believe is we do this by leveraging machine learning 
human ingenuity and scale to help people feel confident in our outputs. And to help people feel confident in our outputs is the emotional benefit. Um, I don't think that's what their positioning actually is, but <laughs> I was like, okay, so now that they're doing video and and graphics pieces in there, it's like, okay, like that's that's a pretty solid positioning statement in in my mind. Um, you know, it's not for people who aren't digital. If you don't right. have a smartphone or internet connection, it it's not for you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's funny because that's particularly the the second half of your statement. I was sitting there thinking they need a positioning statement like this because I don't think they're they're signing up to certain parts of that. And it would be interesting to know, you know, that just comes across as a purely tech-driven company and and how much thought has been put into that positioning. I guess because it was such a huge success as soon as they sort of launched their beta test. They they probably haven't even done the basics of of a lot of that and they're just – trying to keep up but it, yeah. it's an interesting business model for sure it, it is you know it's definitely a lot more of the seems to be a lot more of the if we build it they will come which is right. extraordinarily rare in, in modern but it's times. working for them <laughs> yeah that, that's what makes unicorns um most businesses are not unicorns so for sure most of the rest sure. of us have to do positioning and foundational work and value propositions <laughs> Yeah, fortunately, because that's the stuff you and I find interesting. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm glad most most companies do need that. Um, so I think as as you've just demonstrated, particularly in the last few minutes, things are always changing. There's always something new to keep up with. Yeah. Um, how do you keep up with the the trends? Whether it's the tech trends with something like ChatGPT, marketing strategies, any any favorite websites, books that you tend to go to? Yeah, um, I read a lot of articles on LinkedIn. Um, I, I know people are a little more concerned about the quality of their LinkedIn feed these days. Uh, yeah, and I've had issues with that. <laughs> and yet I, I still find a lot of value in, in it for me. And so um, I like to look to their um, uh, McKinsey, uh, you know, incredibly expensive to hire them. Mm-hmm. But man, do they give away a tremendous amount of super valuable content. And they have, you could get five newsletters a day from McKinsey, at least if you really wanted to. Um, so my recommendation there is to self-edit and decide I want to focus on this one. Um, I get a lot of, I got a lot of newsletters in my inbox that I daily that I don't read. Um, and <laughs> some, some that I find moments of, I get a generative AI update, um, daily that I read probably once a week and hopefully I catch most of what's really important in there. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, product hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little more in the, the tech world and the, the software enabled world. They, they cover a lot of different bases and, they do it in a very friendly and approachable manner for a non um, non engineer, and I like that a lot. Um, and then for um, meta pieces, not the Facebook meta, but you know, macro meta pieces, I, uh, I gifted myself with a subscription to the Atlantic um, last year, and um, they have a lot of newsletters as well and you know, getting things to 
you know, what to know today, and they they put it in an approachable manner with a point of view that I appreciate um, from from the the news standpoint. And they go they go a little deeper. They don't just skip on the surface of of these phenomena. They go a little deeper on things, and I I really value that. Yeah, I think it's it's a nice balance because newsletters. I'm the same as you. I I get a ton and I read some of them. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it tends to be surface level, so it is nice to have a, a couple of resources that you can can dig in deeper as well. Yeah. Um, so you've been very generous with your time uh, talking to me on the podcast. I, I guess the one question I should ask you about positioning is, how do you position yourself and Otter Scope and you know? Who who do you work with? Yeah, I was afraid you were going to ask that <laughs> <laughs> because um, the the interesting thing about positioning is that it is dynamic. Um, you know, it it needs to have that red thread we like to talk about in marketing a lot, um, and it and it evolves a lot. So if if I were doing a positioning um, today. I would say that for passion-fueled brands that get people outside or outside their comfort zone, Otterscope is the place to develop strategy and tactics to win in your chosen markets and endeavors. We do this by taking 20 years of experience in the outdoor active lifestyle industry as a merchant, product leader, and marketer to create goods, experience, goods, experiences, and brands that help people get outside and feel confident and feel confident in the direction they're headed and that is how it's done that's 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 positioning done by a marketing strategist fantastic uh and 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 again i put you on the spot with that so i so i appreciate you yeah i didn't uh, write that one down off the top of your head yeah (laughs) It's great, isn't it? You you took the time to write positioning statement for somebody else's product and uh, and and forgot to do your own. So it's working on your business or in your business, right? Uh, I know, I know. It's uh, it's uh, what do they say the the copless kids have no shoes. Um, so well, well, again, thank you. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, have very much enjoyed talking to you about marketing strategy. Uh, in the show notes, I will put the contact information so that people can follow up with you. Thanks, Steve. And uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, real pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Mix. If you have suggestions or would like to be a guest on the show, visit our website at themarketingmixpodcast.com. In my consulting practice, I help founder-led companies and small businesses punch above their weight, providing the marketing strategy and know-how needed to take your company to the next level. More details are at solentstrategies.com. See you next time on The Marketing Mix.